0: Thank you for downloading the Beacon Church podcast. We hope that you enjoy today's message and that you find that God speaks to you through it. Last Sunday, Phil began a kind of a, a mini Easter series called Him We Proclaim, which is all about looking And I suppose looking and pointing at Jesus as ultimately the one that we want to talk about, that we want to point to, that in the end, it all for us, it all comes down to him. It all comes down to he being the all in all. He's the ultimate answer to every problem, even though at times we can't even work it out. And he gave that 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 joke, didn't he? of uh, You're describing a squirrel, but I'm sure the answer must be Jesus in the end. Um, and uh, this week we are looking at the as we as we go through this I suppose the story of Jesus towards the cross we're looking at the trial in particular uh, the trial of Jesus and really what that represents uh, for us and, and how how does that make Jesus everything for us when you think about his trial and so I've I've entitled this talk the pain of injustice the pain of injustice because when you think about trials if you know anything about the court system it's it, they're really there to administer justice that that's why you have them I I worked for in the CPS for 14 years and one of the things that you were trying to do when you brought people to trial when you when you sort of try when you uh, you know that they were charged with offenses was to administer justice as well as to try and prevent further crimes from happening, you, you were trying to administer justice and uh, I remember a case that I dealt with, which is many years ago and uh, really it's about a man who is in the wrong place at the wrong time and I want you to imagine if you that you are this man, that you are wandering down the streets of Brixton and uh, you're what you might refer to as a slightly lovable rogue you're a you know you're you're you're, you're a petty thief but you know more if you meet the police you don't really like them and and you will you'll argue back and, and and that kind of thing you know the kind of that it may be you but you, you 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 know the kind of person that i'm talking about and so one day this guy is wandering down the street and so what he's based on a, a something that really happened he's wandering down the streets let's say in brixton and uh Someone runs past him very fast and kind of acknowledges him. Someone that he knows, doesn't know them well, but he knows them. And it's like, you right, you right. And he, and, but this guy runs past him very fast, and, and he's just there. And and the next thing he notices is, is is just swarms of police all over the place, and their sort of vans are coming and cars are coming. There are police on foot, and and you're thinking, oh my goodness, what's what's happening? And uh, he's just there, you know, I suppose in a way, minding his own business. And, and what happens is a policeman who he knows, who he's had like little altercations with in the past, um, comes and kind of arrests him, like gets him and grabs him. And uh, he ends up being arrested and um, is, is uh, uh, charged with an offence. And doesn't doesn't quite know what's happening, and probably at that point you think if you haven't done anything, there'll be a point where people will recognise you've not done anything, and they'll just let you go, and they might even say sorry. Yeah, you kind of think that's what's going to happen. But what happens to this guy is he ends up at the Old Bailey being charged with armed robbery. And uh, uh, sometimes when that happens, you can kind of you can kind of tell when somebody's innocent of something, yeah? So, so I was, I, and that's where I come in. I'm involved in this trial. Uh, I, wasn't, uh, you know, I wasn't involved in the robbery, yeah. um, but I was involved in the trial, just we prosecuting this guy, and what had happened was he, he had been charged with armed robbery with this other guy, and um, in the trial, this guy, he, he couldn't keep himself together. He was so mad that he was there uh, being tried for armed robbery, and and what had happened was two men had robbed a security van, and one of them, and the security van got shot, Uh, the security guard in the van got shot in the leg, Uh, there uh, there was a sawn-off shotgun, he got shot in the leg, and uh, one guy was black and the other guy was white, and... uh, this guy was white, and the guy that he saw running past him was, was a black guy who was involved. And he ran to a flat, and the police arrested him there. He was hiding like in a, w- one of those coal scullery places. Yeah? He's hiding there, and, and, and around him's money. Yeah? So he's like he's caught, he's banged to right, he's got money around him. He, he's not been able to get rid of it. And he gets arrested. And for whatever reason, we don't know. He puts the other guy as part of the robbery. He says that he was like his co-defendant and he doesn't say anything else. And so this guy is there. He's obviously at the place when it happens. And that for whatever reason, the co-defendant puts him there. But beyond that, he doesn't really know uh, what's, what's happened. So when we get to court, um, we end up and he he's charged and they're both standing in the dock. They have to put extra... Um, uh, prison officers there because obviously there's no love lost between them at this point. They're not going to be friends, and there's a, there's a guy sitting in between. There's a couple of guys the other either side of them, and when he comes to have to give evidence, this guy just cannot contain himself. He is really angry when the um, the prosecution's put in the case. You know, weren't you part of this? robbery, you know, did you have the gun? He said, I wasn't involved in any robbery. He was shouting back and getting really, really annoyed. And there came a point where it became really obvious that he wasn't guilty simply because of his response. He couldn't help himself. He was always, he was shouting from the back of the court. He was muttering to himself. He was was just really angry that, that he, and his story was, I'm walking along the road uh, this guy runs past, and then I'm arrested by this police officer who I knew, and I knew he didn't like me because we'd had words before. I'm arrested by this police officer, and that's all I know. And that was his story. Now, obviously, the other guy couldn't say that because he had he had money around him when he was arrested. And I remember his counsel getting up, his the defence counsel, and said said to the judge, because he, he gave a bit of an alibi, which hadn't been checked out. He gave a bit of an alibi. And the defense counsel stood up and he said to the judge, Lord, I think we need to have time to investigate this man's alibi because there is a real possibility of a serious miscarriage of justice here. And you all felt, oh, yeah, I think they might be right. So I think, I I, I can't remember if it was um, the, the, the trial was like postponed for a day or part of the trial, in the middle of the trial, we postponed it while they went and did further investigations. He eventually, thankfully, got off. The other guy who had previous for armed robbery uh, went down. I think he got 14 years uh, on that particular trial. And I was thinking about that. If you imagine that you were that chap who had been arrested and charged with an armed robbery that you hadn't committed. Just imagine that you didn't do it and, and now Everything you say, nobody is believing. They just think, no, you know, um, the the guy's put you there. You've not given a proper explanation. No one's believing you. The pain of injustice and how you would respond to that. How would you respond to that? You you know, when you, you know, you know, when you've done something guilty. And and normally if you're guilty, you just don't say anything, do you? You just don't want anyone to push you too hard. You just don't admit but when you know you've not done anything, you can't help but you get angry, you get annoyed. And so I was thinking about this, how the world responds to injustice. And obviously, I've described a situation which would be fairly serious if you ended up in court, being charged with an offence um, but you were un- that you were, didn't do. You were unfairly accused of something um, you would be really, really annoyed and you'd get angry and, and, you know, you would be resentful, not just of, you know, you'd be resentful of the authorities among other people. You would be resentful. But sometimes it doesn't take being accused of armed robbery to make me feel like that. Yeah. If, if you walked in this room and accused me of like, oh, you, you took my money or you said this about me and I hadn't said it and you insisted that I had and everyone said, yeah, and I knew I hadn't, I would have exactly the same feeling. <laughs> Don't you think? Of, I would be as angry inside of, I didn't, I didn't say that. Yeah, I would want to really defend myself. I would want to come out with stuff. I, uh, I would be resentful of you after a little while. And particularly if in the end, you know, the guy got off, but no one says sorry. Yeah, No one apologised for inconvenience in him or almost taken away liberty for years. No one says anything. He just got off, just walked out. So he's left with this sense of resentment. But you don't need to go to court to be left with a sense of resentment. You just need to be accused of something that you haven't done. Yeah. You said this, Owen, didn't you? No, I didn't say that. Or if somebody accuses you of having motives that you didn't have, you you, you get annoyed. You think, ah, oh, that's not true. So how do we deal with, as just the world, how do we deal with injustice? There's this thing of anger. By, by definition, we try and protest our innocence. We want to have a moment where we can explain, no, no, that's not what happened. This is what happened. We want that moment to be able to explain. We feel better. Even if I was convicted, If, if I, at least if I'd had my moment to explain and then you didn't believe me. Well, fair enough, you didn't believe me. So we need to have a moment to protest our innocence. Often when we're dealing with injustice, we're impatient if justice is delayed. I mean, there's that saying, justice delayed is justice denied. That we believe that justice is something that must come timely. That if there is an injustice, it must be righted quickly. We often think that. And then when that kind of situation goes on, Often in our, inside of us, bitterness and resentment builds up. There's an inner hatred for the causes of injustice, particularly if it's personal. But you might have it in relation to something else. But even if it's personal, if it's about me. There's something inside of me that makes me angry about injustice. It's why people don't like the authorities. Yeah, people often talk about them. Oh, yeah, they do that. And it's quite a inevitable. Who are they? Yeah? It's just the people out there do things, and we're quite sort of angry towards systems that allow seem to allow injustice. Then often, when there is injustice or unfairness, we we look for revenge. Somebody must pay for this. Yeah. So if you think about um, some of the, 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 the uh, attacks that have been carried out in the name of Islamic extremists or, or, or groups like that, there are often revenge attacks carried out p- against purely innocent people. Purely innocent. They've got nothing to do with it, but they, but they, they look the right colour or shade or, or they're wearing the same kind of clothes and, and they get attacked for no reason other than someone must pay for what's going on. I'm so angry about it. And then there's a we lose trust or relationship in these kinds of situations. And then, uh, again, I won't go into it, but I remember other cases where, where we pick up the fight for injustice. And you know people, you'd have heard of cases where people have picked up a fight for injustice and it, it totally consumes their life. Yeah, That's it now. I've set up a website and it's this is now the thing. And everything that happens in my life, I see it through this lens, this injustice that happened. This must never happen to anybody again. And so I give my life to fight for injustice. But it doesn't even need to be that big. I I can be the victim of injustice in my workplace. Because my colleague, who we're friends, but we're also kind of rivals, you know what I mean? They get maybe favoured over me, and maybe they get favoured over me for something I did. So, so I come up with a great idea. They take the idea, and now they're off, going places, and I'm like, why am I there? It happens. The little things like that. And inside, I mean, we wouldn't want to admit, oh yeah, I don't like them anymore. Well, we don't want to admit that because that would be a bit immature. But in reality, we're like, oh, I'm never going to tell them again. I'm not going to have that happen again. So unfairness, injustice is massive for us. Why do we react like that? Why is that kind of because we can all react like that? We all go, yeah, you know it's true. I do, I do, do that. Or I try and be good, but no, I do do that. Why do we react like that? Well, part of it is because God has created us. And he is a God of justice. Uh, we'll come on to find out how he responds to it. But he is a God of justice. That the, that sense that we have that reacts to injustice is natural. It's part of how we were made. And we are made in the image of God. That's what God is like. God is just. Secondly, though, our culture is hugely founded, at least in current Ways hugely founded on this sense of justice and fairness and equality. They are now really the most paramount values of our culture. It's justice, it's fairness, it's equality. And anything that appears to to, um, discriminate against that, we do not handle, we do not like. And that's part of our culture. And that also becomes part of us even though we're christians you have to be very um, very thoughtful as a christian not to slip into the way the world thinks about justice it's very easy just to slip into the way everyone else thinks you know that from your work yeah you know that that you want to beat that person yeah you'd never use those words and you'd be nice to them uh, but yourself oh, father if you help me yeah. that's what we're like at work that's what we want to do we don't want to be left behind so God created us. Also, our culture is like it. And yet, really, if we take a, just take a pause and look at what the Bible says about, uh, not just the Bible says about injustice, because there's lots of verses about injustice. But if we look at, as we're going to in a moment, the trial of Jesus and see how Jesus handles injustice, we find a very, very different way of dealing with it than what we're used to. It's very, very different. Uh, but but I submit to you that we should be handling injustice more like Jesus handles it rather than almost like cherry picking verses that seem to suggest that injustice should be dealt with in a particular kind of way. How Jesus handles injustice is really where we ought to go first. And then you can think about, OK, in the light of what Jesus did, how do these other things fit in? And the reason we can go to Jesus is he understands this whole thing of justice better than we ever would imagine. Yeah? And there are two reasons, even without looking at the trial, there are two reasons why he understands. And Phil talked about this last week. First of all, he was tempted in every way that we are. Yeah? One of our temptations is to react to injustice. It's to look for revenge. It's to get our own back. It's someone has to pay. Yeah? Jesus was tempted in every way that we are, but was without sin. And secondly, it says, we have a high priest who is not unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. So Jesus understands what it is, and we'll see this quite specifically in the trial, to be treated unjustly. To know what it is to be unfairly treated. And we have to go, OK, how did he respond to that? How should we be responding to that? So how does Jesus handle this thing of injustice? We've looked at it just in terms of just the world. This is how the world handles it. You can look at a trial, which is quite a big thing, but you can actually just look at your work and go, yeah, I I get it. I understand it. How does Jesus handle this? And I'm going to read some verses from Luke chapter 23. And, uh, yeah, I'm just going to read them. Then the whole assembly rose and led him, that's Jesus, off to Pilate. And they began to accuse him, saying, We have found this man subverting our nation. He opposes payment of taxes to Caesar and claims to be Messiah, the king. So Pilate asked Jesus, Are you the king of the Jews? You have said so, Jesus replied. Then Pilate announced to the chief priests and the crowd, I find no basis for a charge against this man. But they insisted he stirs up the people all over Judea by his teaching. He started in Galilee and he's come all the way here. On hearing this, Pilate asked if the man was a Galilean. When he learned that Jesus was under Herod's jurisdiction, he sent him to Herod, who was also in Jerusalem at that time. We're going to move down to verse 13. Pilate called together the chief priests, the rulers and the people, and he said to them, you brought me this man as one who was inciting the people to rebellion. I have examined him in your presence and have found no basis for your charges against him. Neither has Herod, for he sent him back to us, As you can see, he has done nothing to deserve death. Therefore, I will punish him and then release him. But the whole crowd shouted, away with this man, release Barabbas to us. Barabbas had been thrown into prison for an insurrection in the city and for murder. Wanting to release Jesus, Pilate appealed to them again, but they kept shouting, Crucify him. Crucify him. For the third time he spoke to them. Why? What crime has this man committed? I have found in him no grounds for the death penalty. Therefore, I will have him punished and then release him. But with loud shouts, they insistently demanded that he be crucified. And their shouts prevailed. So Pilate decided to grant their demand. He released the man who had been thrown into prison for insurrection and murder, the one they asked for, and surrendered Jesus to their will. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are with us. And we thank you that there is nothing that we go through that you haven't gone through. There's nothing that we experience that you don't know about. There's nothing new under the sun. And Father, I pray that in these few moments, uh, that you would speak to us through these words in Jesus' name. Amen. Just reading that story, you begin to understand that Jesus understands injustice, because he is not uh, rightly accused. It's not like they had good reason to charge him with anything. He is wrongly accused. And I've read the passage from Luke because it, feel like it contains the whole passage. But if you read the other Gospels, they all talk about the trial. And it says things like um, the reason Pilate questioned them so much, because he knew that they had sent Jesus to him, you know, because they didn't like him or something like that. He knew why they sent him. It wasn't like he was unaware. And then there was a point where Pilate, Tries to really get out of his own responsibility and he says, Okay, I'm going to release this man to you, but on your head be it. It's your responsibility, he says to them. Now, actually, he is still responsible. He had authority. But he says to them, it's your responsibility. And they all shout, because this is what happens when crowds get together and you can control them. Let it be upon us and upon our children. Yeah? Now, how many of us would really shout that? You know, we're sending a man to his death that we're all going to say, Oh, yeah, yeah, we take responsibility. We don't care. That was their kind of response. So you read the story. And if you if you didn't know it was Jesus, if you took it out of the Bible, you would say, man, that's unfair. That situation is absolutely unjust. They couldn't even find reason to charge him, let alone convict him and kill him. There was no reason for it. There was no charge that should have stood against Jesus. And then again, you don't. Read it so much there, but in some of the other stories, when Jesus is accused and questions, he says nothing. He says nothing. And they're amazed. So it's not like, oh yeah, we can imagine Jesus saying nothing because he was really his God is strong. No, they're amazed. What you're not you're not even answering. It's like you're accused of that armed robbery where a guard gets shot. And you're going to go to prison for 15 years and you say nothing in your own defence. So when we look at how Jesus handles injustice, it's a bit more interesting. This is how we handle injustice. There's natural anger, all that kind of stuff. How does Jesus handle it? First of all, where he does answer, he's honest. Where he does answer, he's honest. So he's not trying to downplay his role or anything. So Pilate says to him, are you the king of the Jews? Remember, that's the thing that they just did not believe. He says, it's just as you say. He's honest in his answers. Now, Pilate must have thought, that just doesn't make any sense to me. Why are they trying to kill you? If you're their king, why don't they acknowledge that? So he answers honestly where, where he answers. But where he is baited by his accusers, where they make false accusations and wild accusations about him, there is silence. And you only need to think about if people say things about you. Yeah? And and nothing like this. So no one's accusing you of big stuff, they're accusing you of little things. Yeah? You said this or you said that. How you feel, you're, I didn't say that. You know I didn't mean it like that. And, and, and you we get like that over little things. Jesus is accused of some massive things. It must have been some offensive things. yeah. And he, he says nothing. Do you know what? When he goes to Herod, he doesn't even speak. He doesn't even speak. The third thing we find is that Jesus, in saying nothing, he responds without fear so often fear is the reason that we respond to certain things we do things but then the pressure to respond even for jesus must have been strong yeah it must have been strong in him i'll just tell them i'll just tell them but he responds without fear he doesn't explain he must have had that inner desire for justice because he was created and he, he was not just created he was god so he, he was just. He must have had that in him. He doesn't seek a hearing. And I think one of the reasons for that is that Jesus, before he went to the trial, he had a moment where he prepared his heart for what he was about to do. And where was that? We heard about it last week at Gethsemane. Gethsemane wasn't just this random event that happened in the life of Jesus. Gethsemane was where Jesus once again said to the father, this is going to be hard, father. If there's another way, can we find it? This is going to be hard. And yes, he's thinking about the cross. But you know what? He's also thinking in in a little while, they're going to accuse me. They're going to beat me. They're going to say some things that are so offensive. Father, it's going to be hard. If there's another way, can we find it? But not my will. So in Gethsemane, Jesus prepares himself for the trial. And you know what's really helpful about that is it's possible to prepare yourself for your reaction to injustice. And you don't do it in the moment. You do it in the closet. You do it in private. You do it between you and God You say, God, this world is full of injustice and some of it's going to come my way, but not my will. Not my way. Your will be done. You prepare yourself in your heart for handling injustice because it's going to come. It's going to come. You see, the Bible says that Jesus for the joy set before him. So he recognised he had to go through Gethsemane, he had to go through the trial, he had to go through the betrayal, he had to go through the cross for the joy set before him. If you don't have that idea of joy set before you, it makes it very difficult to go through this. And you're not going through what he went through. We're just going through life. We're going through things that in some ways are quite minor. I know they can be big for us, but... Really, they're quite minor. And then the final thing that you see with Jesus and how he dealt with justice, and this really is the key thing, he trusted God for justice. And that's massive. He trusted God to be just so that he didn't have to fight for justice. He was like, no, I'm not going to fight for this. I'm going to trust you, Father, that justice will come. That what you have said, that ultimately these people who are currently denying me, the world will see who I am, Father. He trusted his father for justice, even though in that moment it looked like he had lost. In that moment, he's humiliated. In that moment, he's brought low. But it doesn't just say for the joy set before him. What happened for the joy set before him? He endured the cross. Scorning its shame. Yeah, there must have been shame for Jesus, even at this moment where he is being treated so unjustly and unfairly. Yet he didn't fight it. So you have this story of a trial where a man is is wrongly convicted, wrongly charged of an offence and he's executed because of it, because of the baying crowd. But we know with the story of Jesus that there was another plot. There was something else that was going on. Yeah, It wasn't just about a man who was going to trial. There was a much bigger picture. And you read about this in Romans 3. I'll just read these few verses. Romans 3 verse 21 says this. If you haven't got 21. 22. There is no distinction. Since we have all sinned and continually fall short of the glory of God and are being justified, which means to be declared free of the guilt of sin, made acceptable to God and granted eternal life as a gift by his precious undeserved grace. Through the redemption, the payment for our sin, which is provided in Christ Jesus, whom God displayed publicly before the eyes of the world as a life giving and sacrifice of atonement and reconciliation by his blood through faith this was to demonstrate his righteousness his forbearance he passed over the sins previously committed it was to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so that he would be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus in other words what god was doing in a moment of absolute injustice through the trial, through the cross, God was going to demonstrate that he was just. He was going to take a moment of complete injustice, unfairness in the world to demonstrate to the world that he indeed is actually just. Because some of our response to injustice is correct. Do you know what? Even in God... Someone needs to pay for sin. When you want someone to 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 pay for injustice, that sense of anger that you have for injustice, God had anger at injustice. God had anger at sin, but He doesn't deal with it in the way that we deal with it. God's anger and wrath towards sin was dealt with where it was dealt with on the cross. He saw the sin of the world. He could rightfully have, I suppose, annihilated everyone and that would have been a just act because somebody needed to pay. But what does he do? He doesn't do that. Because of his love for the world, he takes his very son, he says, okay, I'm going to put you on the cross and I will pour out all my anger and wrath on you and you will justly pay the penalty for their sin. So when you think about that, And you think about Jesus at the trial. You think about the crowd around him, baying for him, calling him names. And he's thinking there, I'm doing this for you. He wasn't doing it just for the people that would come after. He was dying for the very people that were killing him. God handles injustice very differently to us. God used a moment of massive injustice to demonstrate to the world that he's just. So what should we do? Because you're thinking to yourself, do you know what, I'm not Jesus. (laughs) That's why I I sometimes pray that to God. I don't know if it's right, I don't know if it's blasphemous. Sometimes I say, God, I'm I'm not Jesus. (laughs) I'm me. (laughs) And I've got all sorts of things that go on in my head. So what should we do? Because that subplot, which you don't read in the story, but it's the main event, what God was actually doing was pouring his own wrath upon his own son in order that we might be set free because he loved us. What should we do? How do we respond to injustice, whether they are big or whether they are small? Well, there are a few things that we can do. Following the Jesus example of handling injustice, rather than the world's example of handling injustice. First of all, when you're being accused of something, do you always respond? And I'm speaking to myself because it's easy to say this. Do you always respond honestly? Because sometimes we can play up our role or play down our role, depending on what we're thinking is going on. Are we honest in our response to injustice? Secondly, do we always try and defend ourselves? Now I know that this can this could create where you think, well, but what do you want me to do? Don't you want me just to stand there? They're accusing me of stuff. What do you want me to do? I'm not gonna what do you want me to do? I want us to at least think how what would what would be the right response for a believer? Because our response should be different to that of the world. Otherwise, what does faith mean if it's not? It must be different. So how do we respond? Are we always trying to defend ourselves? Have I prepared my heart to face injustice? Have I, like Jesus, had my Gethsemane moment where he left there and he was fixed? He knew. Have I gone, Okay, God, I accept in this world I'm going to face injustice. I accept that. I recognise that that is going to happen, i.e. So I, I'm not going to fight every injustice because so I recognise injustice is going to happen. People are going to think things that are wrong about me. People are going to say things that are untrue about me. And rather than get really angry every time it happens, I accept, Father, that that will happen. But, Father, I'm trusting that you will ultimately vindicate me. In whatever situation, whatever context, there will be vindication. And vindication doesn't mean that one day everyone's going to know. But it does mean in my heart I recognise, God, you know. And you you face that. You probably face that in your situation. I definitely face that as a pastor. That people think things about you, say things about you, think you've said things, think you've done things, and you're like, God, you know. Yeah, in the end, you know. And I, I can't defend myself. So do you know what? I don't. I don't. I find myself more and more in him and i trust him so in some ways and i'm going to draw to a close and then we're going to respond through communion this should impact all of us because we all live with the pain of injustice yeah, or unfairness some of us it's big you know like maybe i live with the pain of uh, you know black people racism injustice of that or maybe I'm a woman, I live with the injustice of that. We all live with injustice in some way. And we're all, most of us, probably all here, Christians. So we need to know, how do we respond in terms of our faith? So here's are just a couple of things that we can do. First of all, repent of trying to sort it your way. Yeah? So you put down the fight for injustice. Because sorting it your way is not how God intends it to happen. You repent of trying to sort it your way and you repent of the resentment that you feel towards others because of injustice. Secondly, forgive. Easy to say. I recognize not as easy to do. Forgive those who have shown injustice towards you or or have benefited because of injustice towards you. Yeah, you give an idea, your mate takes the idea, they're up and they're up and off in the career, and you're like, What's all that about? Yeah? Father, I'm sorry for feeling. Forgive. Thirdly, accept in your heart that you will wait for God to do the justifying. Yeah? God doesn't need and I'm not trying to be right, God doesn't need your efforts. Yeah? If Jesus could wait for God, you can wait for God. And finally, we should all express gratitude that God, who is just, has justified us freely by his grace. Yeah. You can, you, it might appear normal to you, but you can come and worship him without any sense of guilt without any sense of condemnation, because you have been justified by grace through faith. And that is something to be thankful for. Yeah. So along with all this other stuff, the big thing is, oh, I'm so thankful that I have been justified. I have been set free. I no longer need to feel guilt or condemnation or bad about stuff. Let me challenge you and me on this. If you continue to feel bad about stuff, if you continue to feel guilt about stuff, it's because you're not living in that truth. And so if you're a Christian, you're going, I want to live in the truth of what I am and what I believe and what I know. So what we're going to do is we're going to just take communion this morning uh, and we're going to uh, sing a song while we do that. And it's an opportunity for us to respond. And you can respond in in numerous ways. There aren't that many of us today. You might want to respond by just finding a quiet corner uh, and just to pray. You, You may want to get with someone if you've got to do some forgiving and whatever. Or you might want to kneel somewhere. You just want to respond to God and go, Father, I'm going to have my Gethsemane moment. And I'm going to go, I'm going to look to you. I'm not going to be defending myself. Do you know what I think? We live in a world where where the whole justice thing is so, so much there that wouldn't it be amazing if there were a group, even if it's a small group of people that did not respond like that, that found a way of responding that really brought God to the centre of our angst, of our anxieties, of our troubles. And that's what I pray we will do. So let's stand and I'm going to pray and then we'll sing. Can we stand where we are? And maybe we want to close our eyes and maybe we want to just hold out our hands. um, Because this is a very, very familiar part of a story to us. The danger of this is it's familiar. We know the story of the trial. But right now, this is not about the story of a trial. This is about God wanting to come to you in the same way that he came to his son. That you can trust him to handle all your your angst over injustice, over unfairness. And that you can learn to respond as he responded. Father, we, we come to you as a company of people. We come to you. And we're asking, Father, in these moments that that your Holy Spirit might come to us and might make known to us areas of our lives where we need to respond in accordance with faith and not simply in accordance with the culture around us, but we will respond with faith towards you. And so, Father, I pray that you would put your finger on anything among us that causes us to react to injustice that causes us to to respond uh, without faith to things that have gone wrong. We want to defend ourselves. We want to protect our own interests or whatever it is. Father, I pray that this morning we would release some of that stuff. I pray that we would accept some of that truth just as Jesus in that garden accepted truth that helped him go through that trial. I pray we could do the same